I don't know about you, but I, I think Thanksgiving is probably my favorite holiday, mostly because of the gravy and the turkey and the, and the pie. Um, I mean, not all at the same time, but um, it's my favorite because the whole focus is on eating together. It's on the meal without all of the extra stressful stuff that tends to come with, with other holidays. There's no, no spending too much money on gifts. There's no stress about did we forget a gift for somebody, or I hope that this person will like that gift. Uh, and, and for me, at least, there's a lot less work than there is on Christmas and Easter. Eating together is the primary way that humans throughout history have both maintained and healed relationships. According to John Dominic Crossan, this is why almost every ancient culture offered animal sacrifices to God or, or to the gods. This was an attempt to maintain or heal their relationship not only with God or the gods, but also with one another. Because the meat from the sacrifice was often shared together as a meal with the community. And of course, even though we are all mostly removed from where our food comes from, even today, if we eat meat, that requires the death of an animal, which also includes the shedding of blood. Now, I, I point this out because most of us modern thinkers, including myself, often look at the ancient practice of animal sacrifice as weird and barbaric. And honestly, even for me, when we take communion as Christians, I'm a bit weirded out specifically by the wine or the juice reminding us of the blood of Jesus. Anyone else? <laughs> well, let's listen to how this meal was taking place in one of the early churches about 2,000 years ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. When you come together, this is a letter to, to the church from a guy named Paul. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, while another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, of course not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way as he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant or the new promise in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves and only eat of the bread and drink of the cup once you've examined yourself. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment 
against themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We always end on such a great note, right, before we get to that. So many years ago, our family was invited to a a lunch at a church, a church that was more energetic and charismatic than most of us Presbyterians are. And and our kids were, were a lot younger than they are today. And the food was great, and the people were kind and welcoming. And then they had this extended prayer time uh, in, the, in the middle of, of our lunch together. And the person who was praying out loud with a lot of energy kept mentioning the blood of Jesus, almost as a filler anytime there was something else to pray for. Um, so it was like, we pray for this in the blood of Jesus. We pray for that in the blood of Jesus. The blood, the blood, the blood. It felt almost like a, like a monster truck rally. Monday, Monday, Monday. Ten trucks, ten bucks. The body, the blood of Jesus. And so as soon as we got to the amen, our nine-year-old leaned over and whispered, I don't think God appreciated that very much. <laughs> right. Of course. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm a pastor, so I'm sort of used to that kind of stuff, and and it it didn't faze me. But but our hymns and our songs and our rituals talk about blood. They talk about the blood of Jesus a lot. But do we ever stop to wonder, what? Why? What is the deal with all this blood? Well, we have to go back to the beginning of the Bible, to the first time that blood is mentioned, and the first time that sin is mentioned. Cain is angry at his brother Abel. So God warns Cain, saying, Sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, and you must master it. He does not master it. So in the next few verses, Cain kills his brother. So sin, the first mention of sin in this story, is violence. That's what sin is. Now, God does not return violence for violence, but does say to Cain that if someone then tries to kill you, that person will pay for it seven times over. Likely because Cain's family or Cain's tribe would retaliate and kill at least seven people. Then Cain and his wife have a son, and then he and his wife has a son, and then they have a son, and eventually we get to a guy named Lamech who gets punched. So as you do, he kills the guy who punched him. And then he says to his wife, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, Lamech, speaking of himself in the third person, will be avenged 77-fold. So sin, in this early story in the Bible, begins with an act of violence, and one person is killed. The next act of violence, however, would result in seven people being killed. The next act of violence, then, would result in at least 77 people killed. So John Dominic Crossan says that sin in the Bible, at least in part, is not just violence, but escalating violence. One, then seven, 
then 77, then 777, and on and on and on. And we have to wonder how is humanity going to survive if this continues? Well, God says to Cain, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. The blood is still speaking, if you will, as a warning about the escalating nature of violence. So then, many, many years later, Jesus is killed by the Roman Empire, in part because of his commitment to resisting evil with nonviolence. His body is broken and his blood is poured out, and his followers are left to wonder, what, what does this all mean? Then they remember this last meal that they had with Jesus, where he broke the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He then poured out the cup or the wine and said, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins, for the forgiveness of our escalating violence as humanity. All right. So Jesus blood, like Abel's, is still speaking out and warning us about the escalating nature of violence. It begins with one and then seven and then 777, and now we're even willing to kill God, an innocent man. We remember the Lord's death and not just his resurrection because we we can't survive if violence isn't addressed. So how do we do that? How do we address violence? Well, how have people throughout history been maintaining and healing relationships? We sit down at a table, we pass the bread, we fill our cups, we already have the pie in the oven, and we eat together. It's so simple, right? The church in Corinth is gathering together as a church and they're eating together. But they've lost the healing and reconciling meaning of the meal. The rich have a feast while the poor go hungry, which in its own way is a sort of violence. So Paul reminds them, we gather and we remember Jesus' death as a warning that we will have no future as long as violence persists. We eat together. We share equally to alleviate human suffering. Our conflicts can begin to heal if we can just get to the table together where there is food, where there is nourishment, where there is forgiveness. So in this way, we, we don't have to wait to take communion together as a church for us to experience this form of grace. Any meal together is a way for us to maintain and heal relationships. Any meal together is a way for us to remember that violence and injustice fix nothing. Now, we're not actually taking communion today. This would have been a much better sermon for next week when we are taking communion. So come back next 
Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Just kidding. <laughs> Come back next Sunday where we gather together around the communion table. Because every time we take communion together, the invitation always includes that all are welcome without exception. There is no barrier to the communion table because the future of humanity depends upon us eating and remembering and forgiving together. We communion with God and with one another for ourselves, for each other, and for the world. That's why we eat. That's why we have these bizarre practices that talk about the body and the blood. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you would rescue us from our warring ways. Whenever we eat together, we pray that your spirit would begin the work of healing us, reconciling us, and uniting our world in justice and in peace. Amen.